Lance and Lacey Hendricks, thank you very much. I think I had heard that they could sing. Thank you, guys. That that was great and uh, how appropriate. Glory under your name. How appropriate for any message. This day we're going to talk about bringing glory to God's name through marriage. Um, this is the day that every 21st century preacher just lives for when you get to talk about wives submitting to their husbands. It is a fun day indeed. As I talk about that, actually, it's the day that every 21st century American teaching pastor dreads to talk about this particular topic. It's not an easy topic. First Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, uh, speaks about the need for women to be quiet and, and submissive, to avoid ostentatious clothing, and to respect their husbands. And that's tough stuff in the 21st century. Fortunately, though, for the modern day preacher in the 21st century, there is that verse 7 in which it's told, in which men are told to love their wives and in keeping with the spirit of the age, no pastor has trouble bringing the hammer down on the men. So, that's just the way it goes. If you're looking for a detailed discourse on marriage, this is not the preferred New Testament text. Ephesians 5 is a much better uh, place for a mini seminar on marriage. There are, of course, important marriage principles found here, and we're going to take the time to explore some of those. And before we read the text, somewhat like we did last week, although not nearly as detailed, I want to introduce just a couple of principles that will increase our understanding of this as we go. It's important to know this stuff up front before we get into the text. The first thing we need to understand is that this text, 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 7, cannot be separated in context from the verses we looked at last week, 1 Peter 2, 13 to 25, where we were told that Christians are to honor and respect a government that was increasingly hostile to them and that slaves were to honor and respect masters who were cruel and especially those, or in some cases I should say, persecuted these slaves because of their uh, faith in Christ. Now, uh, we're told that wives are to submit to their husbands. And the example last week was given of Jesus who submitted to his accusers and even his executors, even though he had done nothing to deserve the condemnation he received. And I'm going to balance all of that out as we go, so don't put two and two together and come up with six or seven, as is very easy to do. And now... Jesus' example is extended to Christian women who were married to unbelieving husbands. So they said, he said, honor the government. Slaves, honor your masters. Just like Jesus who submitted himself and went willingly to the cross. He went there not only to bear our sins in his body, but also so that we may die and die to sin and live to righteousness. Now, Christian women, if you're married to an unbelieving husband, submit, be quiet, and maybe you're Conduct will impact your husband to the point that he comes to Christ. Now, if you think a marriage between a believer and an unbeliever is hard in our day, you just can't imagine how difficult it was in the first century. I mean, the cultural context that we'll get into in a few minutes helps bring a bit of understanding on what may seem to be rather harsh words for women. I mean, we look at these and we say, wow. You know, be quiet, be submissive, watch what you wear, don't be careful about jewelry. By the way, he's not saying don't wear these things because he talks about clothing itself being something that you've got to be careful about. So he's just saying uh, make sure that your beauty comes from the inside. Peter's words were actually quite helpful 
in what could have been a very dangerous situation for women. I mean, as we're reading this, it's, it's helpful to realize that nowhere else in the New Testament are women told to submit uh, to men as a general principle of life. It's not like they're saying, he's saying, women, you submit to men. No, he's just saying, Christian wives, submit to your husbands, whether they're Christians or not. You need to do that. Beyond that, women were only commanded to submit to men in the same kinds of structures that men submitted to other men, such as government and in slavery, etc. In our case, employees to employers. But the call for wives to be submissive to their husbands is neither archaic nor mean-spirited. It merely reflects the order that is found in the Trinity, where the Son is submissive to the Father, and the Son and the, uh, and the, and the Spirit is submissive to both the Father and the Son. These order, this order is established in the Trinity, and we're merely reflecting who God is as we submit to the authority structures that He has established in life. Now, maybe last week we talked about government. That's difficult for some of you, especially when you disagree with the government. So, so vehemently sometimes, as I do, as we all do in this place where we're encouraged to voice our, our opinions. And, and when you say, okay, we don't have slaves, but I can understand this, how an employee needs to be submissive and honor and respect an employer. But now we come to this wife and husband thing, and it can be a little more difficult to swallow. But if you understand God's structure, the, 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 Trinity, the, the order in the Trinity and the Godhead that is found within God Himself, it helps to, to move more freely and readily into the structures that are established for us here on this earth. If you're new to grace and you want to know more about the Trinity, we did a whole series back in the spring and you can access that on our website. Uh, graceccnc.org. And if you want the written manuscript, go to the blog. My blog is connected there. I don't ever write on it much anymore, but it's all there. You can go back and get those and the questions at the home group studies, which studied, which really added to our understanding of the Trinity. Well, keep all of these principles in mind as we read this passage. We will, as is our custom, stand to read God's word. If you would, please stand and we will read Today's text, which is 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you were her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, um, we are so grateful for these words, we're grateful for your instruction to us in what can be confusing and uncertain and difficult circumstances. Lord, we, we want to know what to do. Most of the time in life, we want to know what 
We just want somebody to agree with us that our course of action is right. But, Lord, if we belong to you, ultimately our heart's desire is to is to obey you, to know how you want us to live, and then to submit ourselves so that Jesus may live through us and the Spirit may do for us what we cannot do in our own strength. And so we thank you for these words, and we pray that they would burn deep into our hearts this morning, so much so that it changes the way we live. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and be seated. Well, before we settle in, into the rich application found in this passage, let's take a few minutes to go a little bit further, understanding the Romo, the cultural context from which Peter wrote. You have to know that in the Greco-Roman culture, women were considered inferior to men. It's just the way it was. It may surprise you to know Because people have such an impression that Christians just, especially Christians that are conservative theologically and say, we believe that God has ordained that only men be elders. And so you you get to think, these people are oppressive and, and, and how could you, as a woman, how could you possibly attend that church? It may surprise you to know that Jesus elevated greatly the status of women, as did the apostles Paul and Peter. All of the New Testament is putting women at a much higher level than they were considered in society in general in that day. What may may appear to some, as in this text that we're reading today, to be a case of of putting women in their place is not at all what is being said. Now, as we've discussed many times, there were a lot of different religions in play in that first century, in the Roman Empire. And it really didn't matter what religion you chose in, in order to, to worship and serve your gods, you could, you could pretty much do what you wanted as long as you did not have this exclusive kind of mentality that our way is the only way. It's just that anything goes very much like today. It's not that others minded Christ followers worshiping Jesus. It's just that you had to say it, these other gods are okay too. When you say he's the only way, he's the only way and he's the only one I will worship, then that's when people got into trouble. In the Roman Empire, it rarely mattered. It just didn't matter which religion you chose. But what did matter, and this mattered a great deal, was that the wife worshipped the same gods as her husband worshipped. In fact, in that world, in the Greco-Roman world, it was considered a, a serious threat to society. If women who were inferior to men rebelled against their husbands and worshipped gods other than the ones that their husbands worshipped. That seems strange to us today. Because everybody just, you think what you want to. And women are encouraged to be independent of their husbands. So you can imagine just how alarming it was to society for a wife to worship Jesus. I mean, Christians were already suspect because they had this exclusive mentality which appeared to be arrogance. You ever been called arrogant because you've said that Jesus is the only way? I I guarantee you some of you have. How can you be so arrogant to say that He's the only way to heaven? I know all of these good people who are so much better than the Christians I know. It may be true. But basically... You know, you you can't deny that this is what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. You don't have to believe it, but you have to acknowledge that's what he said. And if you follow him, that's what you have to not only believe, but that's what you have to 
to, to state to others who ask you about matter, spiritual matters. And even if they don't ask you, it's important that you share that word. So these women who were Christians and would not, didn't worship the same gods as their husbands were considered very suspect in that day. But these women possessed true life in Christ. They knew. You know what it's like, don't you, to know Jesus. You walk in light and you desperately want your, your loved ones and your neighbors and your, 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 your family to see this same light that you see. And so, especially in the early days, when you become a Christian and nobody else in your family is a Christian, what do you do? You tell them. And you tell them. And you tell them. And you hammer it. And you hammer it. And you hammer it. And I'm certain that Peter knew that these pagan husbands of these Christian women knew the gospel. He was certain of that. And he said, you know what? Back off. Back off a little bit. You can't save them with your words. Only God can save them. But with your example of being a quiet and submissive woman, and you let your beauty come from the inside, a beauty that that is going to shine through, it can't be contained. If you have the love of Jesus, that beauty will shine through you. You don't need to purchase your beauty. Let it shine through. Let your life do the talking. Witness without words. And the way you do that is through submission. The very first word in this first verse, likewise, refers back to 1 Peter 2.18 where he talked about slaves being or slaves were commanded to honor their masters. Uh, in saying both uh, uh, of, of these things, Peter was blunting criticism from those who said that Christian wives married to pagan men were dangerous and a threat to society. In a sense, you know, if, if people came knocking and said, you Christians teach these wives to rebel against their husbands, they'd say, look at, look at the words of our, our Apostle Peter. I mean, the very Apostle Peter says for wives to be quiet and submissive. And yet, at the same time, Peter was subverting the social order of the day by telling them that their motivation to submission was not based on what, based on Roman law or Greek philosophy, but it was based on the Scripture, on the Word of God, and on, the, and, and on Christ, on their faith in Christ. And it set the stage for social reformation. Now, Peter doesn't tell us whether or not the Christian woman should go to church over the objections of her husband or whether or not she should go with him as he worshipped his pagan gods, even if she didn't worship. But what, what, what's, what does Scripture say about that? It doesn't. It'd be nice, but it doesn't. You know, we say an awful lot of things in our day about what the Word of God says that it really doesn't say. It just doesn't tell us it. What to do in that situation? His admonition for these women was to be submissive. Make sure your beauty comes from the inside, not the outside. And once again, Peter points his readers to the Old Testament using Sarah as an example for godliness. And, and there's just so much to say about that. I don't have time about pointing back to Sarah, but always, let's just get this, always we should take our cues from how God expects us to live from Scripture rather than society. How do we live? Don't ask some, go here, go here. Well, in verse 7, Peter begins to address husbands with likewise. 
Once again, pointing back to 2.18 and even to 2.17 where, where Peter says to honor all men everywhere. He was telling the husbands, the ones who had the leadership position and in authority, telling them to respect the one who is called to be submissive to him. It's in keeping with Peter's command to honor all people. Now, while the primary New Testament call for women is to respect their husbands and the primary New Testament call for men is to love their wives, husbands here are called to respect and to honor their wives. And, and in Titus 2, 3 and 4, older women are, are told to teach their younger women, teach the younger women in the congregation to love their husbands. So respect and love are, are, are what God calls us to, women to respect, men to love, but he calls us both to respect and, and, and to love the other also. Uh, although Peter spends six verses telling wives to be submissive and only one verse instructing husbands, uh, let me tell you, there's a whole lot packed in First Peter 3, 7. Men are told to live with their wives in an understanding way. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. In other words, study her. Live with, with her in a way that communicates Jesus' love to her. You have to adjust the way you live with her because she is the weaker vessel. That's what Peter says. Now, what does that mean? Well, all we know for sure is that it means that women are weaker physically. That's all we can say for certain that that's what Peter had in mind. There's a pretty strong possibility, though, because of the position and the status of women in that day. They didn't have near as many rights. They were considered inferior, and Peter was saying, look, she doesn't have the same ability to affect your marriage and your relationship as you do. Then Peter said an amazing thing for his time. Christian wives are co-heirs of the grace of life. In this life and in the next, women are every bit as important as men. And that may not be difficult at all for you to absorb in the 21st century. But in the first century, it was a subtle or maybe not so subtle subversion of the social order. And it set the stage for social reform, which regrettably took many Many centuries to ever really crank up at a significant, to make a significant impact on society. And some would argue that we're still not there. But Peter set the stage in his words for that social uh, transformation to, to be a possibility. How important was it for husbands to give special care to their wives? Well, according to Peter, their relationship with the Lord depended on it. I mean, we, we often, Think about our relationship with God affecting our relationship with others. If we're right with God, then we'll be right with others. But but here he's saying, look, your relationship with God is affected in the way that you treat your wife. If you don't treat her the way that you're supposed to, if you don't love her like Jesus loved the church, if you don't live with her in an understanding way, then your prayers are going to be affected. I was with a husband and wife recently. There were actually it was a crowd of us, and and she started to say something. And he said, "Oh, here we go, here we go." And it was funny. It was just in the moment. It was funny, and and you could tell that they had this easy relationship, and he wasn't being 
um, he wasn't being cruel to her in saying that. But so often it is that way when we say, okay, here we go. All right, what's on your mind now? Well, you got to do better than that, he's saying. And if you're constantly, we'll talk about this in just a moment, but ladies, if you're constantly sharing something to the point that he feels like that, you got to do better than that. He's calling us to respect and to love one another. In just a few moments, uh, Drew Peterson is going to come and lead us into our communion time. And, And there's a lot of connection in our text with communion since marriage is a picture of the greater reality. The greater reality of Christ's love for and his relationship with the church. He's the bride. We are the bridegroom. We're going to close uh, our time this morning by considering some lessons from our text. The first of which comes down to love and respect. Husbands' primary responsibility is to love their wives. And wives' primary responsibility is to respect and honor their husbands. Now, if you read much contemporary Christian literature about marriage, you may get the idea that this means husbands love your wives no matter what just like Jesus loved us and died for us, even though we certainly didn't deserve his love. And wives, you respect and honor your husbands if he's worth it, if he's worthy of your respect. It's just what comes across. I'm not, well, I I can't say that I'm not saying that just because I'm a man. I guess I could uh, be impacted in in the way that I think. But, But our text doesn't say that at all. Our text today makes a case for wives to respect and honor their husbands with submissive hearts regardless of the man's spiritual character and and his spiritual status. Even if he's not a Christian, you are to honor him and respect him. Now, please understand when I say that. Scripture makes it quite clear that men, neither men nor women, are are required to stay in a marriage where, where the spouse has committed adultery. If you are a believer and your unbelieving spouse walks away, you're not required to go after him or her. I would never encourage a woman, in fact, I would do the opposite, to live in a home and and to keep her children in a home where the husband is physically abusive. And I may say the same about emotional abuse depending on the level of abuse. That's sometimes a hard call. but, But having said all that... If you are married, and unless there's something severely wrong in your marriage, and you are a wife, you're a Christian wife, you are commanded to respect and honor your husband. Quit trying to change him. You're not going to change him with your nagging. It's not going to happen. I got one of those lists one time that said, you know, differences between men and women, and they were some of they were quite funny, and they were on point many times. And one of them said that that women marry men expecting that the men will change, and they don't. Men marry women expecting that they won't change, and they do. That's pretty funny. <laughs> but uh, and again, I, I guess it's my perspective that makes me think. I, th- I thought I heard more male laughter than I did uh, feminine laughter in that. But you know what happens? If you force him to change by constant reminding him of his shortcomings and how he needs to change, then you may damage. Even though he's changed, he won't really have changed. He may have changed his behavior, but but, but he's not really changed. You may damage a part of his soul, the part that you so desperately need to be alive and active in him in order that he might love you the way he's commanded to.
You kill off that part of him by by constantly reminding him of what a failure he is. And you may not think you're doing that. I'm just trying to help you. I'm just trying to make you a better person. And believe me, this can go both ways. Men can do the same thing. Make the same mistake. Commit the same sin. But if you're constantly trying to change your spouse, you're not following Jesus to the cross. You're not dying to yourself. You're you're saying, things to be different around here so that I'll enjoy life more. Treat your husband as if he is the most deserving man in the world of your utmost respect. Well, I could never do that. Well, slaves are told to treat cruel masters in the same way. I, I think you can do this. I think you can. And your, your commitment to that will ultimately have an impact. When, when two people are faithful to each other and they desire their marriage to be what God designed it to be and yet they find themselves in a difficult marriage. And, and, and that's very often the case. I mean, we're committed. We're not going anywhere. But boy, it sure isn't what I expected it to be. It is impossible to know the blessings that are Absolutely within your grasp until one person in the relationship gives 100%. So why don't we do that? I mean, why am I unwilling to give 100% to my wife? Why am I unwilling to give 100% to my husband? You know why? Because we're protecting ourselves. Because if I give 100%, I expose myself. I just open myself up for him or her to take advantage of me. Well, if you're afraid that you'll be taken advantage of, go to 1 Corinthians 13 to see how God expects us to love others regardless of how they treat us, regardless of how they respond to us. The great thing about God's design, though, is that most likely when you give 100%, especially if your spouse is a Christian, there's going to be some response. And then... If your spouse responds and then begins moving toward giving to you, your goal of of an incredibly happy marriage will go so far. The reality will go so far beyond what you thought about. Some of you are in a marriage right now and you just think, I never thought it would be like this. I just, I I hoped it would be so different. One of you, one of you, just give 100%. And then the other one starts responding. One day you'll say, I never thought it would be like this. I never dreamed it could be this good. Well, we need to state, though, that in the way God has designed us, men and women, the wife is more likely to respond to a husband who loves her like Jesus loved the church than a husband is to respond to a wife who is submitting unto him as unto the Lord. Initially, that's going to be the case. So in other words, the husband has the greater opportunity to affect change in the marriage. Again, especially right off. Because God made us, made men to be initiators and made women to be responders. Now the fall has messed that up. It's, it, it's messed all of that up. But women are more likely to respond to tender, loving care than men are to the submission. Because a lot of men will just say, hey, good. I ain't hearing it anymore. You know, life is good. Bring me another beer, baby. (laughs) I'm going to watch the game, you know. 
But you know what? This passage indicates that men will change over time, right? If you're submitting to the Lord. God made women to respond to love. But I do love her and she still doesn't respond. Well, maybe you're loving her the way you think she ought to be loved. Peter says don't do that. Live with her in an understanding way. That means you've got to study her. You've got to know her. You've got to know what it is that says love to her. You've got to know her love language. You're going to be talking about all of this. We're going to bring application much further in in the home groups this week. Please, if you're not in a home group, get in one. This is a really important week. When you take the time to listen to your wife and determine what her needs are, and you begin to treat her with the tenderness with which Christ treated His church, then you'll more than likely begin to see a change in her sooner rather than later. It doesn't work. Once she's convinced that this isn't just a little thing that you're on, you know, because you got convicted and it'll last for a week or two, when she knows that this is your lifelong commitment to love her in this way, she'll respond. Uh, Ladies, if you find yourself in the role of submissive wife wife to one who doesn't treat you tenderly, then then your only recourse is to follow the Lord's command and His desire in this, and that is for you to respect and to honor Him. And according to this passage, that may create the kind of change in your marriage that you desire. It may take longer. It may not, and it may never come. But you know, ultimately, whether you're husband or wife, it ultimately doesn't matter whether or not your spouse responds to you. We are commanded to live in a certain way with this one to whom we are joined. And pleasing God is more important than anything. It's just that most often we reap the benefits of doing so. Well, I want to close uh, this portion of the service with a statement that I recently heard from a pastor who said, if nothing changes, then nothing changes. You get that, don't you? I mean, if trying to force my spouse to change so that he or she looks at life my way hasn't worked in all these years. What are you going to do? Redouble your efforts? You're just going to try harder? You're going to speak louder? You're going to say it more often? It ain't working! Stop it! Love your wife. Respect your husband. Really respect. Really love her. Really respect him. Not just in the way that you think it ought to be done. Wives, you you need to study your husbands just as much. And don't ever, ever, ever criticize him publicly. And the same thing would be true for, for husbands with their wives. But build him up. Make him think he's the greatest guy going. Husbands, love her so that she knows you love her. Not just, you know, pick up some Walmart flowers on the way home, you know, and say, here, got these for you, you know. Find out what her love language and speak her love language is and speak it. What's going to change if if you don't change? Were you were you hoping when you saw the text this morning that something would be said that would straighten him or her out? Was that what you were hoping for? That's never a good idea, and or expectation. 
expectation. If nothing changes, then nothing will change. Nothing changes in, in your heart, then it's unlikely that anything's really going to change in your marriage. Don't look at your spouse. Ask God to reveal what needs to be changed in your life and then get over your pride and ask Him to help you deal with yourself. How do you do that? We've already mentioned it. Last week's text is so integrally related to this one. You die to yourself. You go to that cross where not only your salvation was wrought, but where your hope of living this life to which you have been called is found also. Because unless Jesus is living through us, unless the Spirit of God is is the one that's guiding us and directing us, we're going to revert back to our old ways. And the only death we're going to desire is somebody else's. You die to yourself so that I can be happy. That's the opposite from what he planned. When Jesus lives through you, either by loving your wife or submitting to your husband, God is glorified. And the possibility of an extremely fulfilling marriage will be within your grasp. Let's pray. Lord, these are hard words and, and, and I may actually have forgotten how hard they are. It's not easy, Father, to die to ourselves. It never is. Death is never easy, especially death on a cross. But the life, the life that can only come after that death is beyond whatever, anything we could have ever asked or hoped for. So again, we yield and submit ourselves to you. Even as we come to your table, Lord, and we think about our spouse or as we prepare for marriage in the future, then... Lord, may we identify with Jesus in his death that the savor of his life might be a fragrance that is pleasing and attractive to the world, especially to those that we love the most. In Jesus' name, amen.